Hello and welcome to Radio, a podcast by EO South Africa. We are entrepreneurs who speak to other entrepreneurs about those journeys so you can learn the lessons that they learned yesterday and you can put them into your business today, making yourself better tomorrow. My name is Ross Drakes and I'm your host and I'm sitting here today with David Jacobson, who is the co-founder and CEO of Synac. Welcome, David. Thanks, Ross. Great to be here. Um, we always ask, start with the first question, which is give us your elevator pitch. Oh, okay, sure. I hope it's as, uh, as polished as yours. <laughs> yours sounded really good. Um, so, yeah, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Synac. We do cloud-based email services for business. So we do email branding, archiving, security on the cloud. So you don't have to worry about, about that. Um, and we focus on ISPs and telcos and very large IT providers. Okay. And I mean, why, why would I use your, your service and not a Microsoft or a Google or... I was waiting for that. Oh, God forbid. <laughs> set up my own email box in the corner of my office and run it on a, a Windows NT server. Yeah. So I think uh, there are a few things. So I think really for us, it's, it's primarily related to security. I come from quite an interesting security background. So our real focus has been around security as well as value. So, you know... Email is something that can be provided by many people, including 365 and Gmail. What we, what we try and do is just make sure that we can give more value um, and, not, uh, you know, and decrease the price as we innovate and as our infrastructure scales. So it's, so it's really around value, simplicity, and security. Cool. And, and can you tell me, I mean, how did you, how long have you been running the company for? How did you end up here? Was, did you wake up one day as a little boy being like, you know what, this is it. I'm going to make an email, an email company. That's my vibe. Yeah. So I definitely didn't want to get into email. I'll okay. tell you that much. But <laughs> we can talk a bit more about that later. But um, certainly when I was young, I was very, very privileged to know exactly what I wanted to do at a, at a very young age. I think since I was... 10 or, or younger, I knew I wanted to be in tech. I, I loved IT, I loved computers, and I had tunnel vision. I knew that's all I wanted to do. Um, so, um, very young age, I knew that. So, how did you, I mean, how, does, how do you go from there into, into this business? Into Synac? Yeah. Yeah. So, I think, um, so at school, uh, I was at school with Yossi, uh, who's my ex. Uh, co-founder and uh, at school I was a little how deep are we going to go here is this like EO deep stuff yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> EO deep stuff <laughs> um, so I, you know yours, I was because I was so interested in computers I I, um, I used to hack a little bit and when I was very young I hacked hundreds of large corporations uh, and Yossi heard about this and Yossi at the time was very you know he knew at a very young age he wanted to run a business um, and be an entrepreneur so uh, Yossi got uh, talking to me at school and uh, a few times we 
almost started something. We were going to start a security company. And we got offered funding at a very young age. Um, and I wanted to drop out of school. And I begged my mom and she wouldn't let me. And she was like, you've got to finish my trick. So that didn't happen. Um, and Joss and I actually came up with two or three or four different business plans. And nothing really interested me. And then I left school and went to go work in the UK. Um, and there I landed a really phenomenal tech job. Um, it was my first time actually overseas. And my goal was to go to London to travel Europe. And I didn't think I would get a job in IT because I was some dude from Africa with no degree. So yeah. I thought there was no chance that was happening. Um, so let me go with my mates and be a bartender. And I went there and I put my CV out there just, just to try to a number of places and got a call and landed a phenomenal job at a company called Quadriga, uh, where we designed digital ac interactive systems for five-star hotels. Now, what that means in English, and this was in 2001, is you'd go to a five-star hotel and you'd have video on demand, which would uh, be the latest videos that were on the movie, in the cinema, um, internet, and all that sort of stuff. And they would provide multi-million pounds worth of equipment to these five-star hotels for free and then take 50% of the revenue. So I got a job working there. Um, so you could watch like all the porn you wanted in a five-star <laughs> hotel using this software. I think you've just summed it up quite nicely, <laughs> to be honest. There was definitely a porn uh, section. Um, in fact, we had one guy in the in the, in the company who used to like vet the porn, which I used to walk past. I found it quite fr uh, funny. But yes, we were flown to five-star hotels to assist in building this new tech at the time, which is quite kind of standard now. Um, and I was just so grateful because every person in my team had a PhD in physics. And I was literally the only guy from, from South Africa, no degree, hit it my first week when I was in London and worked there for a year. Um, and all my friends at the time, including uh, a couple of EO guys now, um, they were bartenders um, and uh, yeah and then after a year I just said look I need to leave I love this company it's the best company I've ever worked for I love the people but London's not for, for me it's not good for my soul and I miss my friends I miss the weather it was the first time I realized just how amazing the South African weather was it just never crossed my mind before yeah and I went to travel Europe and they offered to double my salary. They said, well, double it now um, and you stay for five years, get a um, residency or whatever it was. And I said, sorry. And I came back. So I got, I came back and uh, then I started working for a company called Imperial Online. Um, it was part of the Imperial Group that run a internet service provider to save money within the group because they were spending a hell of a lot of money. So they started this new ISP and this one guy, Jim, who I taught Linux years back, which is an operating system. He said they were building this ISP from scratch and they needed 
help and he asked me to join as a contractor. I said, sure. I joined a month later, they offered me a permanent position and I built a lot of the core ISP services. And then I built a email security platform there, which was, I believe the first truly cloud-based multi-tenant email security platform in South Africa. Um, before spam was a problem, so I built it and then Yossi heard about it and asked me to go for a coffee after I'd been working there for about two years. And then Sinek was born. Yeah, then, then Yoss uh, met with me, he said, how's it? I heard you built this thing and how was London and like, let's chat again. I said, yeah, look, I love it. Um, and Yoss said, what about starting a company? You know, um, and I said, look, Joss, I love where I'm working. <laughs> you know, they're great guys, it's a good salary. So Joss said, look, why don't you, why don't we start a company do, doing managed Linux services for corporates? Um, because Linux and open source software was my thing at the time and what it was really good at. And he said, and, and we can use your passion and your skills on that and do it in a really business focused way because most people at the time who offered Linux support were tree huggers and you know no real business focus and he said and also we can sell that email security thing you built um, what do you think so I said yeah sounds cool I left I went for Friday night dinner at my brother uh, his name's Dean and he's and I told him, I met with Jos, Jos wanted to start a business again. And Dean said, so what did you think of the idea? So I said, yeah, I thought it was awesome. He's like, so why don't you do it? So, so I don't know, <laughs> like I'm not really. So then my brother said, well, do you want to work for someone for the rest of your life? And I like, got a bit quiet. <laughs> I was like, well, no. It's like, so I put together a plan. I'll get some, some guys involved and we'll give you money. I'll back you all the way. So that's what we did. Put together a plan and uh, we presented it to a few people. And they said, Look, we don't know what the fuck you are talking about, but you sound smart. How much do you need? <laughs> <laughs> so we said, We need uh, just under a million rand, which was absolutely nothing. And they said, Sure, start next week. So we literally started on the 1st of September 2004 with two laptops and a printer and grew from day one and just generally word of mouth and we did linux services for corporates which was a very big niche and we scaled the business um, to to managing hundreds of linux servers for corporates remotely that's how it started and you've jettisoned that and now you focus just on the email security stuff. yes yeah so what happened was this was an interesting point is so we did that for a few years and I loved it. And you know, we were a great team because Yossi was phenomenal at sales and writing these beautiful proposals where like you just write something, I'd want to buy it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And we'd sit, it was me and Yossi, I remember, and we'd go to any customer and say, what is your problem? And they'd be like, you're this, that. I'd tell them, give me access to your system. I'd like log in, I'd fix it in five minutes. They'd be like, how do you know? You don't even know I set up. I said, you think I'm good? You should see my team. <laughs> uh, and then Jos would write this like beautiful proposal that accepted straight away and would manage it remotely. So that's how we scaled. Um, and then the business grew quite a lot. And we had to hire a few people and 
I think it was by 2008 or so, Yossi then had a chat with me and he said, look, Dave, like this Linux stuff's amazing, but we're never going to scale to be a big business um, as a service orientated business because we our business really depended on you know meeting with customers and yeah. managing their servers and getting access and dealing with all the intricacies of every um, every different customer and it took a lot of time and it was quite custom and we also found it hard to offer the same level of service because as we got bigger we hired people and we just assumed that we just know anything about Linux because we thought we were being niche. We were like, oh, we're not going to be an IT provider because we're going to be niche. We're going to do well. We're just going to do Linux. But what we learned was like Linux can do anything. <laughs> so before you knew it, we were doing like mail servers, proxy servers, traffic shapers, custom dev things, websites, ERP solutions. So it was just so broad. So we'd hire someone and be like, figure it out. And they wouldn't have a clue. So, you know, Jos rightly said, we need to morph into a product business. Um, and Jos had a look at our books and he said, well, where do we make the most money? What is it? And he had a look and he said, you know, this email thing, <laughs> um, you know, we make a lot of money out of it and it's easy and everyone needs it. So let's stop doing the Linux stuff and change and morph into an email business. I told him never, ever. <laughs> Well, I do this. Um, and we had many, many fights around this for months and months and months. And he was right. I mean, we did need to change the business if we wanted to really scale because we were never going to be a big business in this service industry. And I couldn't think of a product that was better at the time. And in those days when we did it, there was no real enterprise email archiving on the cloud for um, compliance and all these things. So, and very few players. So eventually I, so Yossi, I said to Yossi, I said, listen, you, you got me here because of my passion for Linux and open source software and all that stuff and running a business. I said, you're pushing me into email, dude. This is not... Yeah, this is not what I signed up for. I like uh, emails being done. <laughs> it's not new. Um, and eventually, uh, what what sold it for me was he said, "Look, you can work on all the amazing Linux stuff you're doing now and build huge enterprise platforms. It's just that we're going to now put hundreds and hundreds of companies on those Linux platforms. So we won't be offering Linux skills and services, but you'll be." offering the mail services built on Linux and open source software. So there'll be a new set of skills to learn on how to scale something of this degree. So and he sold it to you. He, he, he wrote a really good proposal. He to wrote you. it and then I was like, okay, okay, Amazing. screw it, let's do it. And uh, we then did the change. It obviously took, um, so what we did was we said we will maintain all existing customers and we will just stop accepting new deals and we'll hire a dev team. Um, we hired a guy, Sam Galbot, um, as our product development manager, and we would build a whole dev team and just build all these cool email products. Um, and that was the idea. It took three times the length, double the costs, and we almost went under um, 
because we'd stopped taking deals and we spent all this money now. And we, very, and we had to retrench people. We got to a point where we thought the business was actually going to go under. And that's when Internet Solutions heard what we were building and they thought, and they liked me and Yossi, Yossi and I, and they thought they wanted to take a punt. So at that time they, they acquired 50.1%. This was in 2011. Um, and that saved us. I mean, how did your customers react to you telling them that, that most of the service we offer you we're not offering anymore. We we end up lining it. So we didn't tell. <laughs> so we just carried on. We carried on supporting them perfectly, which was the biggest challenge because now we were actually managing two business models. Yeah. And so we were trying to simplify, but we actually just overcomplicated everything because through the whole transition, we never once wanted to. Um, because our customers loved what we did. Mm. We were really like the best at it. I mean, there was just us and Obsidian Systems, you know, and we really were good. Um, so they didn't want to leave us and we had the skills to do it. So we just kept doing it. We just kept doing it until it literally just kept dying off. We still have customers today, massive ones, who we manage their Linux service for. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> So you just never, you never actually made the hard cut. You no, still we, kind of... Yeah, well, we made a... Um, I mean, there were a few which we dropped off eventually, but the big ones we kept, one or two of the big ones, but we only have one or two. That's amazing. Yeah. And looking back, if you would, would you do it different? Like, would you do it differently with, with hindsight? Mm, need to think about this carefully. So in hindsight, I think I wouldn't do anything differently. Um, I do wonder what it, what my life would look like should we have not chose the email path. But you can't get no nobody will ever tell you that. No one will ever answer. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so in hindsight, I wouldn't do anything differently. Okay. I think the the learnings are, and I think what's interesting is, you know, email whilst it is quite basic. I mean, it is the number one business communication tool. It's growing year on year, despite what anyone says. It is the first um, security, or almost 90% of security breaches come from email, phishing, etc., cyber attacks. So, and the scale that we have to do this at, I mean, we handle billions and billions of emails. Um, we do it for massive airlines like Mango and Amadeus and all these big players. So, to the challenge in handling that security at that scale has been a phenomenal learning curve for us. And it's something we take very seriously because if we do have a problem, we affect hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands to over a million people. Um, so it's been huge learning curves on, on how to change from, you know, if something happens, it's, it's a problem with one customer to like affecting a million users because you've done something yeah. you know, and that and and to learn from that has been just an amazing amazing journey for us so if you ship some buggy code it can affect over a million people ah yeah so and you know the stress levels that can do to you so so yeah we've learned so many lessons i mean when we took over a large isp a while ago it was about 660,000 users we had to do in one shot and we thought we had planned everything 
and we took them over and the, the actual ISP fell over because it couldn't handle the load. So there's just so many technical challenges that we've encountered. And, and what I find amazing is because our team was naturally so technical, like we had hired the most biggest Linux geeks, that marrying that with something like email has caused a lot of interesting things because the guys are naturally very talented, very um, innovative. And, and doing that around email, something that we probably wouldn't have done, has caused quite an interesting um, mix, let's say. That only other Linux geeks can truly yeah. appreciate the glory of. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, look, I mean, yeah, potentially, or some of our larger customers, yeah. when we show them the type of like where we block tens of thousands of, of brute force attacks a second and, you know, block literally hundreds or thousands of IPs hitting us per second but don't affect the end customer and all the designs and and security work that goes into that. It's really, really uh, interesting. So now you were like a fairly reluctant entrepreneur yeah, and and uh, Yossi's obviously now um, kind of left the company. Uh, so so tell me about the transition from from being the CTO to being the the CEO of of this company. Yeah, so so Yoss, it was the best partner to have. I mean, we really are I respect and and love Yoss tremendously, and we had a very different skills, you know, and. And I've always loved that, you know, it was always phenomenal when I was going through tough times, you know, Yossi could pull me through and he was going through tough times and we'd always bounce off each other and fight. But at the end, we'd always, I think we'd always get a much better result. Should it have been? So it was like a healthy, yeah, healthy it was conflict. A very healthy conflict and very diverse opinions, you know, and, and then, you know, Yossi over the years wanted to get involved in a few more startups and, and moved to the States, which he's moved to New York now. And he said, look, he'll, he'll do whatever it takes to make sure he leaves if it takes a, a month or three years just to make sure I'm happy and everything's cool. Um, so it was tricky because when Yossi told me he was going to leave, I thought the company would freak out. I thought there would be turmoil and chaos. If I found it left um, and we were like trying to work out a plan on how to tell them and how to you know and then you said I should become the CEO and I told him look sounds amazing but I see your job and it's cuck <laughs> <laughs> I said I want to I don't want to be dealing with board packs and finance and ops and like I know what I like I know who you I just am wanna do your I wanna, you do stuff. you I'll do me you yeah. know I, I really appreciate you want me to be the CEO but you know your job sucks <laughs> and uh, so he said cool well, what do you want to do I said well let's hire someone so we went on a hiring spree underground because we couldn't really uh, mention anything and over the over the process Yossi liked a number of guys and I actually disliked all of them not disliked but I said look Yoss they either got to be as good as you or better I'm not going to settle for someone worse someone worse yeah. or at least not as good so I was quite pedantic because and Yoss loved like three or four guys and I was like 
you know, they're not bad, not great, not great. And then it got to a point where yours got a little bit agitated. He was like, listen, dude, I've done my time. <laughs> I've, done, I've done what I can. Like, yeah. you, you got to work with me here. Yeah. So I'm like, fuck, you know. And then he's like, why don't you just do it? I'm like, okay, I'll do it temporary just so you can do your thing. And I'll find someone because I'm not going to settle, right? So I did it and he said, cool. So I did a temporary and then we, 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 we worked with Ernest and Young at the time on how to notify the team and how to tell our clients and a whole plan. And, um, and I was just thinking, shit, I don't know what's going to happen. I think all hell is going to break loose. And I remember Yossi just announced it in our staff meeting and he just said, look, I'm leaving. And I was waiting for chaos. And then the first comment that came out of one of my employees' mouths was, can we buy your shares? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like quite relieved and everyone seemed fine. Yeah. And I was like super shocked because I thought it would be all hell and chaos and everyone was okay with it. And then I said, cool, let me do it. Like I got this. I've been running this business with URC since day one. It was at the time, I think, like 12 years and yeah, I know enough to continue till we get the CEO. And then I started doing it and then I started like challenging everything that I'd kind of thought was the norm in the past, which I wouldn't normally. And then I started coming to work with the mindset of, you know, if I could do whatever the fuck I wanted, what would I do? And then I just started like putting things in place and changing things and and, and, and the business started just really thriving. And I, I managed the finance. Like, I was a bit nervous on the finance side because I wasn't as strong. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, and then I managed, uh, started taking over the management of Lisa, who was our financial manager. And I realized very quickly I didn't need to be that strong at finance. I just needed to be a great leader and manager yeah. and get the best out of her. And I really was bringing that out of her. And then I started like getting a lot of confidence out of it. I was like, geez. And, and then she was thriving and doing a whole range of new things. And, and uh, then the business started doing really well. And we hit all our numbers and exceeded them the first year and the second. And then eventually it got to a point where I absolutely loved it. And now looking back, I couldn't see myself doing anything else. And how, how have you have you managed to stay out of the way of the, the CTO? Did you hire a new CTO? Yeah, so Sam, the guy I mentioned previously who we hired, the product development manager, we I promoted him to CTO. So yeah. do you stay out of his way or do you come and meddle in his project? I try my <laughs> best to stay out of his way. Okay. Um, but yeah, so so I've got a whole tech team now. I've, I very seldomly get involved in tech. Um and I'm more about kind of leading the team and inspiring them and trying to get the best people and the best, give them autonomy to really do what they need to do. That's where my main focus is. So I just do love the techs. I love chatting to the team, you know, um, but I, I definitely am not involved at all day to day in the tech side of it. I'm very interested in the, you know, you just said uh, you give people autonomy and we were having a bit of a discussion earlier around, um, you know, how, how you did that. How do you, how do you guys approach autonomy in your company and not have people take advantage or do the wrong thing or run in the wrong direction? 
So there's so many things to this. I mean, I didn't mention to you in the very early days at Synac, we actually enabled a remote first. Uh, we did remote. Uh, we offered guys the ability to work remotely. And the reason we did this was not to be innovative and all of that. It was just because we couldn't afford <laughs> to pay them the salaries the banks were offering. So yeah. we were trying to throw in whatever perks we could. And we were like, you get a free lunch and you can work remotely and, and, and. So, um, but the remote thing we originally did, we like kind of did it on a schedule and we were like, you can only do Tuesday to when to Thursday and you can't do a Monday and you have to tell your manager and prior book, etc, etc. And after a while, it got, we got a lot of good results with people working remotely. And uh, we had to put in a lot of tools and processes and now we're a fully remote first business. So guys don't come to the office Monday to Thursday, they don't have to, only on Friday, just so we don't forget who we work with. Um, and with that comes a level of autonomy and trust and, and things like that. So that's, that's one area. Another thing is in the very early days, Yossi was involved in EO quite a bit before I was. And we would go away a lot on business trips. And Yossi would kind of promote like, you and I, we go, let's go. And I'm like, are you mad? Like there's this project and this thing. He's like, it's fine. So he'd be a lot more chill than I was. I'm like, no, 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 like this. We He's like, let's go. And we'd go and all hell would break loose. Like the whole thing would fail, the project would fail, etc. And we'd come back and try to tidy it up. And we did this a few times. And then like the third or fourth time, the team started doing brilliantly. Uh, and then managing it themselves and taking it over themselves. And the more we were away, the more it gave them the kind of the time to grow into whatever they needed to and do the work because we just weren't there. They had to. Yes. <laughs> um, and then it got to a point where we came back and started saying things and they were like, listen, guys, you're causing more trouble. <laughs> so, you know. You know, and that's how we built our team. And, and today we've got a, I've got a very, very strong management exco team. So I think that has, is what's led the, led me to not have to be so operationally involved. Um, so having a very strong management team and giving them whatever they need to, to either, you know, do the work. And if they mess up, it's okay. As long as they don't mess up recurring, it was fine. Yeah. Isn't that a powerful thing that if you put the right people there and you trust them to do the job, how much you can actually get back out of people and how little you get when you try and micromanage every single last thing that they Yeah, it's they amazing. Do. You know, most entrepreneurs I speak to, they're like, yeah, I'm going to try what you did because they see me going on holiday a lot and all of this. And they're like, I'm going to try it. And they like hand over something and the guy doesn't do it the way they do it. And they're like, I knew it. I knew they wouldn't do it like this because they will, will never do it like me. And it's like an ego thing. Yes. Um, I think. And you've got to learn like there's different levels of delegation. You know, you've got to delegate small initially and then like ask them and communicate and review and... Not just drop them with the top project and then prove yourself right that you were so great that they couldn't do it and you knew you shouldn't have tried it. You know, I see a lot of uh, entrepreneurs do that. Um, so, yeah, I think delegate small, communicate often, um, and then just keep... keep and, and it's not about delegating the shit work. 
It's about letting other people grow. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Giving other people a chance to grow so you can work on other strategic things. It's not about delegating shit work necessarily. Yeah, and I suppose you forget that you've been on a journey. So you've had all of these experiences which have stacked up to you being able to do this. And some people have just joined your company and worked for you. So this is the only world they know. So you almost need to give them that space to, I mean, how many things did you mess up on your, like, on your way through your kind of career? It's the only way to learn. And it's the only way for them to learn. And like problems or challenges are a gift and it's what makes them grow. You know, and you just got to do it in a way where it makes sense for you. But but don't don't pretend that you're like the bee's knees and no one can do it like you, because then you'll probably never grow a big business. So, I mean, um, you know, on the, on the topic of growth, you were sharing a story. Um, it's actually why uh, Clyde Ackerman recommended or, or lightly pushed you towards the podcast. Um, you, you shared a story about a recent experience you had. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So um, I was just uh, privy to go to a Tony Robbins event um, last year in Florida uh, through so my company. We've got a learning and development budget and spent it. So and a few of my American mates told me you must go to Tony Robbins, this event called Date with Destiny, where you learn <laughs> Your, your purpose in life and where, where, where you're meant to be. And I'm like, yeah, look, it sounds amazing, but um, <clears throat> I'm intrinsically motivated. I don't necessarily need to go to a six-day conference, yeah, rah, rah, screaming. Um, but I got convinced, slightly nudged to go, and I thought, you know, it would be great also to meet some EO entrepreneurs in L.A., so I met a bunch of EO guys in LA, which was phenomenal. And I made a trip out of it because EO is great when you tap into the global side of things. I yeah. think that for me has been the big thing with EO is just tapping into global. And and I decided, yeah, let me meet some cool EO tech entrepreneurs, see what's going on in LA. And then I'll go to Florida and do this little six-day conference. And I'm sure I might be a little uh, revved up afterwards, but didn't think much of it. Um Anyway, I went to this conference and we, we did a lot, a lot of deep work. And one of the things that I'd personally struggled with my whole life was, well, not my whole life, for the past few years was I was always knew what I wanted to do. I was technical. I was passionate about Linux and open source software. I was an ex-hacker. I'd done all these things. This was who I was just because I could talk to people normally and I wasn't a a super retard didn't mean I wanted to uh, try like kind of be this business guy and entrepreneur. Yeah. But but what happened was when we started Sonak, I had to do less of the tech stuff and be more of uh, do more people management and you know leadership stuff, etc. And over the years, doing more of the business stuff and less of the tech stuff. I've had internal battles with myself, like trying to understand who am I? You know, am I this tech guy or am I this entrepreneur? And that was one of the things I went to Tony Robbins to hopefully try learn. Um, and what I learned out of Tony Robbins when we did some deep work and a bit of a meditation exercises and and group and like discussions between everyone was that life has happened 
for me, not to me. And I was born to be a leader. And the reason I know this is because I can party harder than anyone I know. I'm crazy. I'm like a little bit not normal. I, uh, I'm, I can handle tons of stress. I'm very flexible. Uh, and all these things I kind of knew in drips and drabs. But I, it, like it, it kind of clicked for me at this event that I was born to do what I do. And the, re and the fact that I know so much about tech is just such an exponential advantage because many leaders don't know a lot about tech. Um, and, and I'd seen a lot of things in my life that had led me up to this point. And one of the things that came up was when I was about nine, we had a, a very bad car accident where uh, I was in the car with my mom and my dad and some guy shot a red light and I think he was driving in excess of 160 to 180 and hit my dad's side and my dad was very badly, he was dead on the scene actually um, and they resuscitated him and got him out of the jaws of life and I saw all of this as a little kid and my mom was very badly hurt um, and my dad at the time he owned a clothing store called Jake's which is my nickname Jacobson so it's in the family and he was really an entrepreneur he was you know he was he made the money for our family and when the accident happened um, he was in ICU and the doctors told my brothers and my at the time because I was too young to understand they said look your dad's most likely going to die he's got about seven percent chance of living and if he does survive he'll be a vegetable for the rest of his life so they told my mom to leave him and my mom wouldn't leave him and they said look it's, it's like sounds amazing very noble of you but leave him it's the best thing for you and she wouldn't and throughout that process you know and having this car accident from having a very stable family um, my mom couldn't afford to do her hair or her nails and all these things and my dad was in ICU and had a lot of brain damage and they said he'll never work a day in his life so seeing what my mom went through with him taught me looking back at all of this taught me a lot about love and real commitment as well as the fact that today my dad he's got 50 branches and he runs a company called Daniel J and he's got 50 branches across South Africa so it's a real real success story and out of the accident um, we got given a little payout and I said I want a computer for that little bit of money we got and that started my journey into into um, computers so looking back what I learned was I believe the reason Synac was fairly successful in the beginning days is because I did it out of love and I feel like I learned that from my mom and just looking back should the accident not have happened I wouldn't have gotten a computer I wouldn't have led to where I am now, Yossi leaving. So I feel like it was life happening for me, not to me. And, you know, that's what's got me to this point. I love that the, you can reflect on that path, how all these little little thoughts connect together and each of them stack up. Um, 
I think a lot of people try and live a comfortable, like an easy life. Um, and there's, there's a lovely thought that I heard at the Global Leadership Academy last year that some, like everyone is on a path from not understanding to understanding. And what accelerates you on that path is, is kind of like life experience or hardship. So like the harder your life is, the faster you move from not understanding Definitely. to understanding. And the more comfortable and easy your life is, the less likely you are to ever kind of make it all the way to that. Couldn't agree more. I mean, who would you be without your problems? Yeah, you just... You'd be a nobody, right? Yeah. So, so these are gifts. They're challenges. Everything's a gift in life, whether... You know, and nothing's permanent. So I've learned to look at these things as gifts. And it's not always apparent at the time, such as this massive car accident which turned my whole family upside down. But it also got, for example, my brother to become the dad. And now he's a very successful entrepreneur who runs a, a massive uh, also clothing business, you know, out of it. So you never, you know, you never know at the time what's going on. But looking back, and also my dad's friends laugh about it. They tell me that the accident saved his life because he was a bit of a rubbish and he used to drink a lot and fight. And <laughs> um, so they said, like, if he carried on like that, he probably would have, you know, had a different life. Had a different life. So they're saying the accident saved his life, which is very interesting looking at these things later on. I love that thought and I suppose I mean just reflecting on the conversation we just had how in a sense you've you've accidentally done that to your staff too so instead of kind of protecting them and padding them from the reality of of things you've let them stand out there in the cold face of it all and experience failure and experience the joy when you fix it or when you get it right because you know if you get everything right how do you ever know how that feels compared to when you really really mess something up yeah like i think embrace uncertainty is the is the message there and it's almost like you know i think we we call it fake it till you make it um but the reality is it's embracing uncertainty and growing from it yeah and you know no and and what happens is your even if you think you can't do it what happens is your subconscious kicks in and your subconscious is more uh, it's it's more powerful than you than, than we realize, and you know our subconscious gets our heart to beat a hundred thousand times a day, and we don't even have to think about it. So these things happen when you embrace uncertainty. You just dive into it, and figure it out. And isn't I suppose the thing that's what ties all of us together at at EO that at some point everyone stepped into this yeah this weird thing called entrepreneurship. Well, David, I think that's a, a lovely thought to end this whole whole talk on. I mean, I think that's lovely. And I'd like to hear from anyone who's listening what they, like if they can connect their journey, like how they, how uncertainty has led them to where they are today. And I also love that you can look back on it and be grateful because I think the gratefulness is what can carry you when things get a little bit tough and you know, someone ships that code that kills a million email inboxes, you're going to need something to, to um, stave off the anxiety. Yeah. So that was awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Ross. It was great. Well, thank you very much for listening. Um, you've been listening to Radio, which is a podcast by the Entrepreneurs Organization in South Africa. 
uh, quick shout out to our sponsors, uh, Bidvest McCarthy, Bidvest Car Hire, 10XE and LabourNet. You guys are absolutely amazing and without you we wouldn't be the organization we are. If you know anybody who's running a business who might benefit from hearing this, please share it with them. I think passing knowledge on is one of the best things you can do with your time. And yeah, if you want to drop us a review or anything like that, we'll totally appreciate it. If you want to find out more about EO, you can go to eonetwork.org. And we'll catch you guys in the next one. Peace out.